right, hope you're doing well. Um, whatever campus you're on or event you're at, we are gathering to talk about sons and daughters, and particularly, um, I get to lead us through the next couple sessions on daughters. And so I have four of them. So it has been quite an education. When my firstborn was done, I, I was born, I just looked at her and was completely shocked that she was a girl. And I don't know why I thought I'm firstborn son, that I would just have firstborn sons as if that's important. And, um, and I just had that in my head that that's what I was going to have. And so I remember my dad us having coffee one morning. He goes, it's going to be fine. You're going to figure it out. And girls are great. And, it's, and I was like, Dad, I just don't know if I can raise a girl. And so I know that is completely immature, but that's where I was at that age and living in Texas. And I, it took about five hours, and I absolutely fell in love with that young lady. And then last year, went through the crisis of marrying her off to an idiot. And it just it's one of those things that happens. We're kidding. He's a good dude, right? But it does happen. They grow up on you. So I have um, five children. I have one son, four daughters. So my girls are 23, 19, 16, and 12. And I tell you that to tell you that I've done a lot of parenting with girls and spent a lot of time with girls and have also still have a lot to go. Still have a lot of work to do. Um, there's a lot left on the docket for us to work on and accomplish. And even as I'm working through this process and putting together notes and thinking about this material, um, it has been stretching and it has been pressing. And me go, okay, I got, got things I got to work on here too. So I was in a meeting with some um, parents uh, real recently, and we were doing, my wife and I were doing a Q&A. And started pinning the, the couple of moms started pinning me down about a few issues, and I was like, okay, let me just let me give you the big picture. When you think of the word parenting, it's probably not fully orbed. You know, it's not, it doesn't, it, it, it probably originally meant that, but now when I think about parenting, I'm thinking about holding a two-year-old and you know, taking a five-year-old to the fair or something like that. And so that, that's, that's probably some of the connotation that you have when you hear the word parenting. But as your children get older, it doesn't feel to me like the word parenting captures the idea as much as the word leadership. Like when they get to be preteens, teens, it feels like you're, you're bartering in the world of influence. Right and of some of it is authority, but it's mostly influence, and it's it's a leadership challenge. It's like leading a small organization. So, and and it, it seemed to hit those parents really well when I said that that this is it doesn't feel as much like parenting as it does like leading an organization and leading um, key players in your life. And so it's a leadership challenge. So. I'm going to give you a list of a few things in a moment. I wanted to review real quickly something um, Bill White led us through the Genesis passage. I do want to highlight something for you. Genesis 1.27. We have a slide. It'll come up. Let me just read to you. It says, So God created human beings in, the Im- in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. So our young sons, our young daughters, our grown sons, our grown daughters... They are created in the image of God. So they are, when we talk about femininity and masculinity, we're talking about people who have been downloaded with the image of God in them. And they are equal, equal in value and expressing different aspects of God's image in the world. And so there's tons of overlap where they're the same, right? But there's tons of areas where they have a unique capacity related to being female, or a unique capacity related to being male. So there are some uniquenesses, yet they are equal. 
um, Bill hit on some of this, that we see within, uh, within humanity the ultimate core sin is pride. But as we flesh that out and we talk about men and women, we're looking at some core sins. And so when we talk about male, the man and his core sin, we use the word passivity. This is not the theologically precise definition, okay? This is that, that bigger definition is that we're all guilty of pride. That's the core sin. But in our practical working out experience in life, man's core sin is passivity. In woman's core sin, we see her move out from underneath the covering of Adam. We see her move out from underneath the covering that God has given her in Adam and his direction towards her. And we see her become autonomous. So we would say core sin for him, passivity. Core sin for her, autonomy. Um, the man had received direction and responsibility before the woman was ever created. And so we see these core sins taking shape. And then something I was studying um, a number of years ago, and I was working on something it seemed, it was very unrelated. And, and this idea kept coming back up. And I was thinking about my girls and um, their future. And, and, and I'm going to hopefully, over the next, particularly next week, try to go, okay, here's a picture of the future now, if you back up wherever you are to, the, to where you are now, now what are some steps I can take to try to move my girls in that direction, right? But this is something that occurred to me of Proverbs 14 that I stumbled onto. Because I was thinking about the big picture long term. A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Now, now understand, I'm, we're not just saying that the only contribution that women have is in the context of the home, right? I got four daughters. Two of them, one out of college, she's a nurse going back to grad school, got another one's in college. Um, and so I, my grandmother was a principal of an elementary school in the 60s and 70s. Uh, my mom worked, my mother-in-law worked, my wife works outside the home. So, I mean, that's not what we're talking about. It's just interesting to me the kind of power and responsibility that is identified here with women. It's that she has the ability to build a home. And she also has the ability to destroy one. And it, and it really got me thinking about the influence that a woman has in this context in the home. Is that she is a centerpiece. She has a covering. She has a man who's supposed to be leading. Um, she's with him. He's also covering and over her in some ways. She has children that he partners with her in. But yet they're underneath her. So she's in the center place where she's holding a lot together. And we see a lot of homes where they lose the dad. And that home, though it's tough, can still thrive. It is interesting to me, though, when we lose the mom, how, how, how much more complicated it is, right? And so woman has a, has a tremendous amount of influence and a tremendous amount of power uh, that, that I think carries outside the home, but we ought to acknowledge it, that this is part of it, and this is part of what we're building towards. All right, let me give you a list of things to think about. Here's what we're trying to do with this list. <clears throat> trying to stir you. Trying to get you thinking, to give you something concrete to react to, to put some categories on your spreadsheet. You know, I mean, there have been times that one of the big influences in my life, there's a handful of them, but one of them, Mike Chabero, been one of our governing elders for 18 years, I think, maybe 19 years. And um, when uh, he and I have sat and talked through the years, there would be moments where he would say, well, now there's this. And I would say, I don't even know what you're talking about. And it's like I'm looking at a computer screen with a spreadsheet, and there's like five columns across. And he's like, hey, here's another column. So now there's six columns. 
Well, I didn't even have the language. I didn't have the language. I didn't have the idea. Um, I didn't have the concept. So it wasn't like I was choosing not to work on it. I didn't even know that it was possible to work on it. I didn't know that idea existed. So we want to give you some categories. We want to help you think in terms of priorities. When, when I'm going to share a, a ton of information, uh, I think it's a ton. For me, it's a ton. And you could get overwhelmed with all that and be like, oh, my gosh, I can't do all that. Don't do all this, right? Just you're looking for one or two things to go to work on. Right, just one or two things that you think the Spirit of God says. Hey, you can. This is an area for you to think about, for you to talk about, for you to focus on. So we want to give you some categories, give you some language. Um, not all of this is strictly Bible theology. Some of it is wisdom within the parameters and the framework of the Scriptures. So uh, let's go. First one, the idea of identity. Now, there's volumes written on this. I'm not trying to be comprehensive when I when I talk about this idea. Ideally. We would love it if our daughters trusted in Christ at an early age and followed Him and their identity was in Christ. And that's how they viewed the world was through that lens of that I'm a Jesus follower. and That's how I view the world. That would be great. And hopefully that's where it's all going. But there is this window of time before then. And there is the constant lifelong battle of what it means to have your identity in Christ. And so what I would say is part of our role as dad is to shepherd them around this identity issue. And primarily this, primarily this, that my daughter would identify more with my family and me than she does with the other 30 11-year-olds that she goes to school with. I mean, that is the real challenge, is that we crave, we worship as humans, creating the image of God. We're, we're looking to, to reattach back to His image and be fed from Him. And so... When, we, when our kids go to school, it's easy to get with all the other 6th graders, with all the other ninth graders, this is how they dress, this is how they think, and I want to dress the way they dress, and I want to think the way they think. And to engage your children in such a way that their identity does not get completely swept up with the other 25 8th graders that they go to school with, and they're getting their identity from them, they get their identity from their family. And this is a true, true battle. I was sitting with some teenagers Last year, we were sitting around talking, and we were talking about a new trend in clothing. It's like, so cool, and this is cool, and this hot dress is so cool. And I said, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm the old dude. I'm so uncool, but let me just ask you a question. The thing that you have to figure out is, do you actually think that the hipster look is cool? Or do you just think that everybody else thinks it's cool, so you need to dress that way so that people will see you as cool? And if you did not think it's cool, would you even know that you didn't think it's cool because you have your own thoughts? And if you knew that it wasn't cool, because it's not, but if you knew it wasn't cool, would you be brave enough to dress the way you want to dress, even though everybody else dresses that way? And they all said, no, we're not, we're not, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I was like, and that, there's honesty right there. Good. That's at least a start. And so we are all struggling with identity because we are all wanting to fit in somehow, some way, on some level. And so we are, we are pushing them to think and, and can constantly trying to draw them back in. And I would say some of that relates to you as dad. And this is easier with some of your girls than others, depending on personality. Is that part of your identity, I want part of their identity for a while, is to be um, that you're my daughter and that I'm your dad. 
And that we're connected and we're related to each other. And that I'm a, I'm a trusted person in your life. And I'm your dad and you can look up to me. And I'm a counselor for you. And I'm a place where you come to have fun. We do fun things together. And, so that she, and she's taken her friends and drawn them into our world with dad or with our family. And we're drawing people this direction, not having our children drawn in that direction. And so part of our role is to pursue. And this goes back to the second week. Is that if we want to help shape her identity, you are going to have to be in pursuit of her all the time. And I was looking back. I think one of my failures, and they're starting to mount up. I'm starting to see them. You know, when you're in the weeds, you don't see as many of your failures. And they're young. There's lots of room for error. But now you start to see them. One of my failures is I feel like I did not spend enough individual time with my children out of our context. I spent a lot of time with our family, even though I worked a lot. And I spent, um, have spent a lot of time with them individually in our context. But I did not spend, in my opinion now, enough time getting them out of our context, away from our greater family, and just us out of our context building some time together. I think that's one of the mistakes that I made. And so I think in, being in pursuit, connecting with them, helps them identify with you. And I think you help carry them until they're ready to take a bigger step. Second idea, the idea of affection. Girls as a species crave affection. Now, you got to gauge the personality. Some personalities like affection more than others, right? So you got to gauge that. Here's the biggest idea with under, under affection. Is that when your little girl starts to transition at 10 years old, 11 years old, when her body starts to change, that she does not sense you recoil from her. That you... Do not let that, her change in her body, you do not let that become awkward for you. And then you shut off affection right at a time when she is feeling the most insecure. And that plants a seed in her brain that I am alone, I am isolated, this is awkward, this is weird. And at some point, her body change begins to work for her and then she'll have the ability to go find affection somewhere. Once things change a little more. But right when that body starts to change. And you have to continue to find appropriate ways to stay connected to her physically. That you still show affection to her. You still love her. And you push through. Even though her body's changing. We are, we, if we hug, we hug. Right? And it, and it changes throughout as they get older. So I have my girls will hug. They like to hug. Um, my 12-year-old still likes to wrestle. My 19-year-old doesn't like to wrestle, which I wouldn't wrestle with her anyway. She beat me up. So I'm, I'm not doing that anyway, right? But my girls still like to come sit in my chair with me. And then for one of, her, one of them, she's too big to sit in the chair with me, but that is irrelevant to her. It's like, okay, hey, okay, hang on. And so that is still part of the affectionate world that we have. And so whether it's hugging, sitting together, um, when they're young, you're wrestling, you're playing, but you just, the goal is, is that as their body changes, is that it does not um, send any kind of shiver between you. It does, not, it does not cause you to quake. It does not cause you to hesitate. Is that you continue to move towards them and stay connected to them. That will mean worlds to them as they get older. Third idea, the princess versus the tomboy. Now, we got the extremes, and most of our girls are somewhere not, not on the poles, not on the extremes. Although I have spent 
significant time with the extremes in our family and in a couple of families that I'm close to that are out there. So here's what I would tell you. <clears throat> Both things are fine. The princess is fine. The tomboy is fine. But they both have to be checked. They cannot exist alone in their extremes. So the princess needs to know how to work, work in the yard, get her hands dirty. As one dad said to me, she, my daughter's a princess. I cannot imagine her pumping her own gas. And I said, please don't do that to her future husband. I was like, for real? Are you kidding me? You can't imagine your daughter pumping. You can't imagine her touching a gas pump. I mean, what are we talking about? Right? Please don't do that to the future. For her, for all the people in her life. She can get dirty. And here's, what, here's the deal with your daughter. She's a princess. She is special. She is not better. That is the idea. She doesn't have servants. Right? And so when you develop that princess mindset, when they're little girls, if that continues, they don't just think that they're special, they think that they're better than other people, and that you and all the other siblings are servants. So they don't have servants. The tomboy. The tomboy needs to wear a dress every once in a while. And we're close to a family that had a beautiful, has a beautiful young woman now. She's grown. Beautiful young woman who was a tomboy growing up. Hate to wear dresses. Right? And so whenever we would get to a nice event, they'd be like, yep. I was like, hey, she got a dress on. They're like, yeah, it's quite the battle, but got it done. Got it done, right? Here's what she, and, it, and, and the, her femininity, she's going to grow into that, become comfortable with that at some point. And so you're helping without wounding through the process. But here's, here's what she's got to understand, is that we're headed to a wedding or a funeral or whatever, and we're going to love someone else today more than we love ourselves. I don't feel comfortable. I don't like that. I hear you. I got that, that you don't feel comfortable, that you don't like it. There, no one's arguing whether you like this or not. Today, today we're going to love somebody more than we love ourselves. That's what today's about. Today's not about us. Today's about somebody else. And that's why we're going to do this. And that applies to a hundred other areas. The point is, for the princess and the tomboy, is that what we want to communicate is, just because you are a girl, the world does not come to you on your terms. Now, because of some of the abuse in our masculine culture historically, we have gotten to a place, we'll deal more with this next week, we've gotten to a place where women can never be wrong, they never get challenged, they never get confronted. There's an error in that, okay? That's not, that's not healthy. It's not healthy for men to live in that world, not healthy for women to live in that world. But we want to teach our young ladies that the world does not come to you on your terms. Everything's not happening exactly the way you want it, when you want it, how you want it. Responsibility. If you listen closely to um, Bill's talk, the overriding theme um, is responsibility for those young men. Everything that he said, you can kind of squeeze into that. It's tethered to the idea of responsibility. And I think he's totally right on that. I think it plays um, a huge role with the boys. I think it plays a significant role with girls. But I think it is a bigger role with the boys. The idea. There's a corollary we'll get to in just a second. But the, the, the idea of responsibility, it does keep a child humble. Okay? And there are times when your child's acting in ways you're like, that is not good and, and that's not cool and I don't like that attitude. I don't love those actions. And you're not exactly sure what to discipline for. Like, I, what would I discipline for that? I mean, what, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Half of it's I don't like what you're saying and doing. Half of it just doesn't feel right. Usually what that is is just an arrogant, haughty spirit. It makes the tone not right, say an extra thing here, 
that's not exactly right, an action here that you don't like, an attitude that you don't like. Generally, that's, that's a kind of... It's hard, to, it's hard to discipline for an arrogant spirit when they become wise in their own eyes. And, and responsibility is generally the anecdote for this kind of arrogance, putting weight and responsibility on them. And let me just say, as a dad of daughters, we don't need any more divas in this world. I mean, I think we've met our quota a while ago. And one of your missions as a dad is I am committed to not creating one more diva that everybody else has to orient around. And what I would say is putting with their chores, with school teaching, school is your work. Do it as unto the Lord. Here's some chores around our house that you're responsible for. You're a taker. You can provide for yourself at some point, and then you can contribute. We're asking you to move from taker stage over to starting to care for yourself in our home and even starting to contribute. You can wash these dishes. You can help with these chores. You can wash your own clothes. These are some things that you can do to start carrying responsibility in our home. Here's what I would tell you. It will humble them because they realize life's not as easy as it looks. And they don't get to stand in judgment of everybody else all the time who's caring for them. They realize, oh gosh, this is really hard and really challenging. And I, it just humbles them. And at the same time, builds their confidence. So one of my girls was in Allendale County uh, on a mission trip years ago. And um, they got to this yard. They're like, we got to cut the grass in this yard. And she was there and there were four guys. And they were all like, we don't know anything about how to do this. And my little middle school daughter goes, well, I mean, it's a lawnmower in the yard, and I'll do it. And the guy that was in charge goes, you'll cut the grass? And she's like, yeah, I need you to. My dad has to help me crank it because ours, the thing's hard to pull. So I'll hold it, and you pull, and then we'll be good to go. So he's like, okay. So she held it. He pulled, cranked it up. She cut the grass while the guys had little pruning shears over there cutting little bushes. While my daughter, in 95-degree weather in Allendale, is cutting the yard. Like none of those boys had been taught how to use a lawnmower. Like none of them. And then none of them would even lie and say that they did know how to use a lawnmower. Just to save their pride. They didn't have enough pride to say, yeah, yeah, I do this all the time. Surely I can figure it out and fake my way through it. I just think it's interesting. But confidence says, I can do it. I mean, I'll work real hard and hopefully I can do it. I'll just have to work real hard and ask some questions and get some help. But I, I can do it. Arrogance says, I'm better. Those are different issues. Arrogance says, I'm better than you. I'm entitled. I don't have to do this. Confidence says, I mean, yes, give it a shot. I mean, there's no guarantees. Well, give it a shot. It'd be nice to have a generation of young ladies who are not arrogant, but who are incredibly confident. Yeah, let's give it a shot. Let's do it. Let's, give, let's get on it. Let's give it a shot. Let's try. I think we can do this. And keeping them busy with responsibilities. This is a passage about widows. But it's not about, they don't say the same, there's no corollary to the men on this side. From um, 1 Timothy 5, he goes, and if if they're on the list, this is older widows, right? Um, They will learn to be lazy. These are ones that that shouldn't be on the list, that should not be cared yet for the church. They're not in that position. He goes, and they'll spend their time gossiping from house to house. And so he goes, and they're met, they'll be meddling in other people's business and talking about things that they shouldn't. He goes, if these women, these women who are not really old, they still need to be in the flow of what's going on. If they become idle with no responsibility, they'll, they'll start meddling and become gossipy. And I'm going to tell you, the, I see this as true of, of all ages. If my girls don't have responsibility in something, they'll, they'll, idleness is not good for them. 
they'll get into things and they'll start um, talking about things and get involved in things that they don't. I'm like, why in the world would you even need to be thinking about this and be involved in this? And it's they don't have enough to do. Right? So that's, a, that's the corollary for women. Another one is authority. I think this is the bigger one. What responsibility is to young men, I think authority is to young women. Is you, I think part of our job as dad is to teach our young women how to put themselves under authority, how to relate well to authority. That's in the home, outside the home. If you have a strong young lady, and I got a few, you will not have to worry about what they think and do they agree with you. They make it very clear when they do not agree, right? That is very frustrating and incredibly wonderful all at the same time because I just, I'm saying this is where we're going to eat. I just need you to be good with that. I've been working like 16 hours. I just want to go get some Mexican food. And I just want you to, if you don't like it, I'd love for you to like it, but I just want you to not talk. Just don't, don't, I don't want any feedback on it. We're not really discussing it, right? It's just a thing. I got the money. You got nothing. I'm in charge. Just do this thing with me one time, right? And so that part is frustrating. The good part of it is, is you know what they think and what they feel and what they believe, and they're constantly telling you where their heart is. They can't help it. I got one. She cannot help. She cannot restrain. You always know where her heart is, what she's thinking and feeling, right? Which is a huge help because then you know where you are. If you have a compliant child, do not let yourself get deceived into thinking that she is with you. She is not with you. She's with you on some things. But you're like, hey, sit down. She'll sit down. But inside, she's standing up. And she takes pride in the fact that you don't know where she really is. That's what you got to get clear on. Is that it thrills her that you think that she's on board with you. Like that thrills her to know he thinks this, but I'm really over here. Got it. Like there's something about that personality that loves that. And so you've got to figure out, I have a compliant child who's not always with me. I have extra work to do, right? I have extra work to do. What we're trying to teach her is how do you put yourself under authority? How do you engage authority? How do you challenge authority in a healthy way? How do you say, hey, I don't really believe in this. Hey, I don't really think this. Hey, I don't really want to do this. And then still come under. How do you engage um, authority outside the home? How do you orient towards it without being manipulative? Without whining when they're younger or older. Without, at some point, once they realize they have female powers. Want to not engage the female powers to manipulate and scheme and get what you want. And not just to wear down through the war of attrition that the Bible calls nagging. Proverbs twenty-one nineteen, newer translation says, It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome complaining wife. And here's what I've got to think is, what am I going to hand off to another man one day? Is he going to think, God, you know what? If I could just get a one-way ticket to the desert. i give me a bottle of water and a plane. Maybe I could just jump out of a plane with a parachute and land in the desert and get away from this woman who will not stop. Underneath this issue, something that I've noticed in our family and others, a girl between the ages of 13 and 15, at some point in there will come to terms with the fact that she's different than her mother and will start to despise her mother in certain ways. 
She'll come to terms with, my mom's not all that, and I'm more organized than my mom, or I'm more creative than my mom, or I'm more, my mom talks too much, or my mom doesn't talk enough, or whatever. And, they'll, and you, you need to be real sensitive to that and aware of it, and you need to help coach both parties. Hey, babe, this is not, this is not personal. She's trying to grow up. She's become aware of who she is and become aware of who you are. She's trying to process it. Hey, hon, you got to not, not despise people. You're not any better. You just came to terms with your strengths, and you're matching your strengths against your mom's weaknesses. But your mom's got strengths. She's been handling you and all this for a long, long time. So your mom's got strengths too, right? You're just looking at some of the weaknesses. So that's even a way to how we respond to authority and not being despising. Number six, a dating doctrine is that you've got to go to work, and for most of you, you've got to go to work fast and get a doctrine of dating in your home that you and your wife come to mutual agreement on. Um, the culture will shape a doctrine of dating into your children by the time they're in sixth grade. It'll be done. So you got to move by about 10 years old. You got to be on that. You have got to go ahead and infect your child with your doctrine of dating by the time that they're 10, because in school, they're already getting a doctrine that's being handed to them. If you're thinking we'll deal with dating when we get to high school, <laughs> it's way too late. It's done, right? You're, that's way, way over. It's already been established. And so you, if you're there right now and you haven't done that, then you, get, you go to work and you do what you can. I am, I'm not trying to overstate. it. I'm just trying to get to the young dads that don't put this off. Get on it, right? you got to figure out what you believe and you got to get your wife into the game and y'all have got to talk about it because you can't wait till, and we've seen it in our church a hundred times, is that an eighth grade boy asks an eighth grade girl to go to a dance and then the moms fall in love with the idea of my child being in a dating relationship. And the mom has this real innocent view of how all this is going to go down. But it, it, it never really goes in a real healthy direction. Even if it doesn't turn physical, just the emotional component gets real, real weird. And so moms can get hyper, they can get blindsided and get real romantic real quickly. What I would say, the questions that you have to answer is that you have to answer with your wife, what is dating? Like why? Why date? And when should it start? And the why helps inform the other one. The why, and so your two choices are, do we date to get to know people or do we date to get married? In our culture, the answer is you date to get to know people and sometimes it winds up ending up in a marriage. I would argue that you should date to get married and that there's other ways to get to know each other. And, I, and, and, and here's what I would compare it to, is that in the, in the 70s and 80s, very popular became the three-wheeler. Let me show you this three-wheeler, right? This became the thing. Now, go try to buy one of these today. Can't find one, right? You can build one, which is what they do to race, but you can't just find one because how many people got killed or paralyzed on these things? Because when it, these big old bouncy tires, when it hits, it goes up in the air, wheel turns, comes down, boom. Or just turning too fast. You're 13 years old, don't you? You turn too fast, you flip over the side. On paper, this works great. But in reality, don't, and here's what I would tell you, on paper, the idea of dating to get to know people works great on paper. But in reality, it's a train wreck. The wake is huge on it. So I just use it as an illustration. I would challenge you to think, and we, we talk about this in other teachings, in other areas, and so we deal with this issue of dating in other ways. And so I, I won't belabor it here. There's other resources for that. But I would say the question that you have to get with your wife and y'all have to talk about is, what is dating? What is the purpose? And when are we going to start allowing it? And here's what I would tell you to do. I would be very, very careful 
and not give real specifics about the future that you don't know yet. I would not say to my daughter, you can, <clears throat> excuse me, she's 13 years old, you can date when you're 16. You have no idea what it's going to be like when she's 16. I would not, I would not create rules that you, and you later have to obey, that she comes back and leverages against you. Because what if the guy, you started your daughter early in school, so she's the youngest one in her grade. So all her friends are dating. And what about the guy who's two grades ahead of her? He started a year late because he's an athlete. So he's almost 19 and she just turned 16. And you told her, you can date when you're 16. She's like, okay, well, here he is. I'd be like, no, no, he ain't. <laughs> I mean, you keep pushing, I will have to kill him. I mean, we'll find his body somewhere. I'm just saying, you do not want to put a bunch of rules in place that really are arbitrary, that may, be, that may work for you, but may not work for you. Just, I'd lay off of that. But you got to go to the core issue of what is dating, what's it for, and how are we going to manage that? you got to get to it quickly with you and your wife, and then you got to get your children infected with an idea. Um, <clears throat> the next one, sex impurity. Vicki does the initial um, sex talk, which is an anatomy talk, right? Don't confuse sex talk with purity talks. Like when our kids, when we take our kids away to do a sex talk, um, it is anatomy. They're not struggling with purity issues. We're just explaining body parts and how babies come into the world, right? Pure, there's one sex talk to get anatomy, clear on anatomy and where babies come from, and then there's hundreds of purity talks that happen after that. And Vicky does carry the lion's share of the work on that. And um, with one of our girls, when they were away, went to, out of town, big trip, shopping, whatever, having a big talk. So some of, the, some of your kids will, as you know, will just not ask any questions. They're terrified. They're like, thanks for sharing. Can we be done now? And so that's been some of our kids and our other kids have been like, yeah, I have some questions. And so for one of them, she had a bunch of questions. And finally, she just pounded my wife with all these questions about sex. And finally she goes, I mean, does daddy like the sex? And Vicki goes, let's call him and ask him. So, Vic, I get a phone, I get a call, and she goes, you're on speakerphone. Your daughter wants to know if daddy likes the sex. I was like, daddy liked the sex very much. <laughs> she goes, all right, that's what we want to know. Hang up. So that is part of the conversation, and where, it, where that conversation ends, and the reason Vicky's willing to call on that, is that she's wanting to integrate dad back into this conversation. Because I'm going to have to be a part of, not in the next year or two, when they're in a real fragile age, but particularly when they get in high school, then I'm a big part of those conversations on purity, and what boys think, and how they think, and how they process. And I'm trying to cast vision. When I see a guy who's an idiot, I'm like, hey, that one is an idiot, let me tell you what his marriage looks like in five years. Let me tell you what he's going to do to his wife and his children, unless God redeems him and does something amazing. But right now, let me tell you where that goes. Let me tell you what I like about this guy. This is what he's doing. Look at his work ethic. Look at this. I'm starting to point those things out. I'm trying to be prophetic and cast vision for where all this is going. Next one, modesty. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. <clears throat> and I want women to be modest in their appearance, that so they should wear decent and appropriate clothing. And not to draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair by wearing gold and pearls and expensive clothes. And so we do have a biblical mandate given to women that we do not have given to men. There's no passage to say men should be modest. No one really cares, right? We've got nothing that anybody's really interested in, to be honest with you. So this is a big one. 
Our, my girls, most of my girls danced. We were always a part of a dance studio that had Christians running it, and it was a little more modest. I didn't realize how modest until we went to dance competitions. And there are literally girls on stage, 8 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, 16 years old, all the, all the costumes, except for the real little ones, but all the costumes are basically an imitation of a corset or a negligee. And the dancing is beyond what I can describe, how vulgar it is. And the why, the, the mothers are standing up. These girls are gyrating on stage at 12, 13 years old and just nothing. And these mothers are standing up cheering, giving all this affirmation and applause. You go, girl. You go, girl. And just clapping, just going. And I'm thinking, and the dad's sitting there going. And I just want to go over and just grab him and be like, hey, bro, that's your daughter doing that. The only thing lacking is a pole from that stage. What is wrong with you? And here's what I've learned. Not just not out there. Forget that. In our church, Christian men. I have learned that Christian men do not want to deal with the modesty issue and they are silent, just like the culture is, because they don't want to crush the dreams and the potential affirmation that their daughters get through how they dress. And they don't want their wives to think that they're a pervert. I cannot believe you would say that about these young girls. I cannot believe you would say that about your daughter. I cannot believe when you look at that dress, that skirt, that top, that you're thinking something like that. I can't believe that your thoughts are like that. That's about you. And so men have taken a beating from their wives, and men don't want to go on the hook as being accused of being a pervert, so they don't talk about modesty issues. And here's what I would tell you. In your home, this is my opinion. i got no passage that says this other than man's supposed to be leader of his home. You're in charge of the modesty of your home. And you got to be willing to get bloody. you got to be willing to get bloody with your daughters, and you got to be willing to get bloody with your wife. And I'd say, go get bloody with your wife first. And you need to teach her what is and what is not a pervert. That we are visually stimulated. There are, and, and the passage is vague of what, what modesty is. And modesty changes from culture to culture. I get that. And what someone wears to church is not the same thing as what they wear to the beach. I get all that. And that's what you got to go navigate. There are no rules. Don't send me an email going, what do you think our girls should do this? Don't send, do not send me that email. I got no answers for you. You have to figure it out in our culture, in our context with, with your family. There are, it is true. What's at the beach is different than what's at church. What you wear to this event is different than that event. But what the dress that is too short, that's your call. The top that's too see-through, too sheer, hangs too low, that's your call. Um, skinny jeans are here to stay. We've got to figure out how to manage it. Yoga pants, here to stay. Can you just cover your butt? Can you just wear a sweatshirt that covers it? Right? You've you got to be in the fray and in the conversation. I remember... When we first got married, and my wife and I were traveling, and we were talking, and I said, here's the thing. I said, and she, was, she got onto the scent that there was a world around all this that she didn't understand. And finally, <clears throat> I was trying to explain it in principle, and I was getting nowhere. I said, all right, so here's the idea. I said, when I see a woman in her bathing suit, I have seen her in her underwear. And Vicky goes, what are you talking about? I was like, I don't know how to say it any simpler. If I've seen a woman in her bathing suit, I've seen her in her underwear. Because how can that be? I was like, because they're the same. She goes, no, they're not. And she went, and then she stopped about halfway through. She goes, they are the same. I was all right. I said, no, that's my responsibility to manage all that. I can't go change a culture and 
you know, try to ruin women's freedoms and all. I mean, it's not my job. But you just need to understand that it's the same. It looks the same. It's all the same, right? And so it opened up a world that was not fun and still is not fun to have to talk about and think about. But it has brought clarity to her through the years of us talking about it over and over and over and coming to terms with what modesty looks like in our home and for our girls. Because for a lot of women, they are either clueless, they have no idea how men perceive them and, and what's at stake here and how it makes them look. And on the other hand, there's so much affirmation that comes from dressing in a certain way, even subtle ways. There's subtle affirmation that comes that women get used to and that they want, and you can get that. At the end of the day, that is the issue. The heart issue behind modesty is you have to deal with the craving of information. Uh, affirmation. The craving of affirmation. And it's not just from boys. It's also from girls. You look so, like, look at any Instagram, Facebook. You look so hot in that dress, and it's from girls. You look so amazing. Women are craving affirmation, and they're giving it to each other. And just look at your wife's Facebook. And see how the women talk to each other about when they're dressed up and how they affirm each other. They're affirming each other because they know that they crave it. So that's the issue you have to deal with with your girls. Is Why do you crave this affirmation? You're dressing in a way that you're trying to fulfill something, create something, affirm something. You've got to deal with the heart issue. Uh, technology. I would just say, <laughs> think through. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna, once again, I'll just give the application idea. Your daughter is carrying your cell phone. It is not her cell phone. So it's not her cell You cannot look at my cell phone. That may be true. But you don't have a cell phone. You carry my cell phone. You're right. I probably would be inappropriate for me to look at your cell phone. But I'm not asking to look at your cell phone. I'm asking to look at my cell phone, which you carry with you all the time. And I would just get clear on that real early. Because you are not aware of what's coming at her. You think that you are aware. You are helping her. The kind of pressure that her friends put on her, the kind of things that her friends are saying to her, you need to help with that. For my daughters, a couple of my daughters have had young men say, please send pics, which means naked pictures of yourself. From men in our church, students in our church, right? So that happens. If that's happening in our church, it's the biggest problem that we have with middle school boys right now. Our staff in this church is going to great lengths working with parents. And we're having a hard time convincing parents, no, your son is doing this. He did ask her for naked pictures. And then once he got them, screenshot them, and then he sent them to all his friends. Like that is happening I mean, to say every day is probably an overstatement. Every week in our church, that is what we are dealing with. Go ask any of our student guys at any of our campuses. And so you have a larger responsibility to your daughter than just giving your daughter what she wants and the freedom and the privacy that she wants. She wants privacy. Privacy is a bathroom, bedroom issue. Privacy is not a cell phone issue. So she is carrying your cell phone. And you got to find a way to manage that for her and with her that is healthy and has long-term benefits. Understand that your daughter can fall in love with someone now that she never spends time with because of Instagram. This is the thing you need. If you have a young daughter, if you've got a teenage daughter, you're already clear on this. But if you have a 10-year-old, 12-year-old daughter, you need to understand. Your daughter 
can absolutely fall in love with someone through Instagram because they share pics of their day all day long. They're in more contact with each other all day long through real life experiences, shared experiences, virtual, but they're still shared experiences, more than what you and your wife have because y'all are working jobs and you're busy. He's sending something for breakfast. She's sending something from lunch. And there's this class. And there's this going on. And there's that going on. This is a hard time. And I'm frustrated. And I'm real happy about this. And they're going back and forth. They can, over a period of months, they can absolutely bond to each other. So you need to know the relationships that are being built through Instagram and sharing a life back and forth. All day long can bind them together. And the craving that your daughter has to post something and within an hour get 100 likes. The kind of affirmation that she gets from 100 people rallying to or saying, you look amazing in that dress. Or, that's so cool that you got that. Or, can't believe you're doing this. This is amazing. Great meal, great trip, great whatever. Good job. You scored a goal, whatever. Like the affirmation she gets from that. Huge. Next one, emotion. We got it. We'll talk more about this next week. But learning to manage emotion and not obey it. We got to teach our girls that emotion is not the ultimate reality and not just emotion, that what you feel is not necessarily true or the ultimate reality. It is okay that you feel it. We feel a lot of things, some of which are true. You may be feeling something, tempted to say something, believe something right now that is not true. We got to spend more time talking to ourselves than listening to ourselves. And so you have to force time where y'all discuss and work through where you discuss and you work through things. Hormones are real. The emotions that come are real. But you got to create space maybe for her to calm down a little bit and then come back and we're going to talk through it. We're going to process it. You're not going to bottle your emotions and then take that to your friends and get counsel from your friends. We want to pull the plug on that. We want to create a way where we create tension in the home and then we create space to process it. We talk through it and we teach Here's what you're really thinking. Here's what you're really feeling. That's real difficult. And if she feels heard and she feels affirmed, then she can take the idea that she's wrong. She, most girls will take the idea that they are wrong as long as they feel heard and as long as they feel affirmed. And you need to learn how to do both things. I want to affirm you. I want you to feel heard. At the same time, I want to teach you that what you're thinking is not right. And we're going to come to a different place on this. And we're trying to move through it. So making her feel understood. And then the last one is you, you're creating a parenting team with you and your wife. You're going to learn how to divide and conquer constantly. You've got to create space for the two of y'all to work through things. And here's what I'm going to tell you. The expectation that you and your wife are going to agree on how to raise these children, girls and guys, in every area that y'all are going to agree, that's not going to happen. You're not going to come to terms where you agree on every single thing. And what I try to do is if it's not, if I don't want to die on that hill... And I think it's gray, I'm going to give that one to her. And I'm going to let her know. I'm going to be like, hey, I hear, I, I don't think I agree with all that, but I see what you're saying. And so let's give it a shot and I'll, I'll support that. And I'll, I'll go, and I generally, I'll take her ideas where we don't agree to prove to her that I'm a team player. I'll go enforce her idea and take the blame for it. Dad, why are we doing so and so? This is like something mom would come up with. I was like, your mom's not smart enough to come up with an idea like this. This is my idea. Whatever. Right? And so I'll, I'll force her ideas sometimes because then when we get to something where I know that I'm right, in my soul I believe I'm right, I'm going to say, babe, I, <laughs> I'm telling you, we don't agree. we got to go one direction. I, I got to take this one. 
I know this is what we have to do. And I may be wrong, but right now, this is what I know. And so you've got to spend a lot of time thinking about, researching together, coming up with ideas. There is a divide and conquer mentality where your wife draws you into conversations so she can leverage you, where you draw her into things so you can leverage her. Vicky's the intuitive one. She goes and finds the problems. She comes back and tells me the problems, and then I go do the explosive work. That's our team, right? I would think if something happened to her, I would think, oh, my kids are great. She's the one who comes in and says, this is not good. She's feeling this way. This happened at school. Look at this pattern. She'll connect the dots. I'm like, oh, goodness. And then I'll go, go after it, right? And so you have to figure out how your, how your team works. Do not delegate the parenting of your daughters. And the, the, one of the phrases I left out when we were talking about modesty, you need to get your wife with your girls to acknowledge that you're in charge of modesty. That was a phrase that I left out. Right? So do not delegate the parenting of daughters to mom that you have a critical role to play. And this, an example is on modesty, is that I want an acknowledgement from her to the girls that I am, I'm a huge say in all this, that I, I have an important role. I am not an idiot because I'm a man. I am not out of touch. In fact, I'm the only one in this house that is an expert on lust. Like, I smoke all y'all. It's the only area I'm better than all of y'all at. If you can be good at something, I know more about this than all of y'all put together ever in a thousand lifetimes. So you need to listen and you need to trust me on this. Mark 4 says this as we go to groups. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus says in Mark 4, he's like, be careful what you hear and be careful how you hear it. And he basically says, if you ignore it, he'll take away what you have. He goes, but if you're faithful with it, he'll add to what you have. Be careful with what you hear. And so here's what I would tell you. You could not take action on everything that I just talked about, but you can take action on a couple things. Whatever you do, take some kind of step, some kind of action. Do not take in, I'm not saying anything I said is truth. I'm just saying it's information that God may use. You just say, God, what do you have for me? And just make sure that you don't do nothing. Make sure that you do do something. Let me pray for us. Father, Help us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Help us to process well. And for each one, your spirit knows every situation well. And you want to lead us into all truth. You want to guide us and give us direction. Pray that you give us wisdom beyond ourselves. Pray that you give us grace and courage to be able to lead well and to honor you. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.